so firstly before i for, before i even say anything else let me just quickly say this is probably if anyone has been tracking with our normal schedule the last thing i did was with todd bordeaux did you watch that what do you think yeah, I listened to that one podcast. Oh, yeah, that was cool. So, um, but then I just didn't do anything else. So we've just gone dark for a while, and that's because oh, just a whole bunch of reasons. Just busy, and uh, maybe it's the lockdown thing coming coming uh, back to normal. I don't know, but uh, we're, I'm working it out slowly but surely. And uh, what you should appreciate in this uh, episode is this beautifully smooth internet that we got going. So you see how see how there's wisdom in just waiting a little bit and uh, waiting yeah. till we buffered. Buffers, the buffer's got a big backup now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm coming across good to you, though, right? I'm, I'm yeah. smooth as a baby's bum, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, really, it can't be from my side. So if we have a problem, it is Nick's <laughs> fault. And uh, that's just, I think, I'm, I've never been as confident as I am on that point. But um, anyway, so we'll we'll start liking and learning a little bit more. Now, sorry for the the wait. If you usually just uh, do kind of, uh, I don't know, just press play for your regular podcast there, but that one with Todd, Todd was cool. I enjoyed that. It was good hearing Very the story. Cool. I, and, uh, I, yeah. I actually downloaded his uh, Demon thesis. Yeah, me too. I, I, reading it. I read it yeah. a while back. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, love so agreement. I, I was actually. Um, did you write something about uh, divorce? Or I know you did your your honors in yeah, it. Yeah, I was something. going to do my master's thesis on divorce. Did a heap of research, gathered all the books, all the quotes, and then once I'd cracked the case, I'm like, well, I don't need to do my master's anymore. I know what I believe yeah. now. So that's what happened to John Framer. Oh no, no, it wasn't quite that. He had he had a similar experience with his PhD. Uh, it's funny, you know, like he gets the whole thing laid out, and then he's like, ah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i could so easily see that happening um but anyway so yeah i know we've talked a lot about the divorce thing and you've got some unique takes on so yeah it'd be interesting to um even get him back on and talk talk through that and you can yeah, be on for that or whatever yeah so we can we can uh, look at that later uh for anyone who cares as well and um um i, I have got a, a few interesting little chats set up uh as we're climbing into the rest of that uh klein and neo-calvinism thing I know a guy got introduced to a guy through Chris who um, would consider Klein to be kind of kind of a, a kind of neo-Calvinist. So very interesting guy, knows a lot about doing it and, um, and he's willing to come on the show. So uh, I'm just trying to read cool. up enough so that I can make an intelligent conversation partner when, we, when, we're, <laughs> when we're able to talk it through. It'd be very helpful for me, but I'm excited to hear his angle. So stay tuned if you want to uh, check that out. Um, we'll... we'll We'll uh, get to that eventually. Um, and then, of course, we've got all the, the the rioting going on in the meantime and lockdown off. And we thought we'd be just something super relevant because we want to stay on top of it. And we always want to be cutting edge relevant. So we thought we'd do, do Augustine's Confessions. Yeah, the African theologian. <clears throat> that is Dude. just, I didn't even see that. And now I understand why it is relevant. Absolutely. Okay. So obviously we're being sarcastic. Uh, you know, it's relevant always, but you know, we could talk about two kingdoms or we could just do two kingdoms. We could uh we could just forget about it all and press on with our with our heavenly home. Um Augustine's confessions. We've been waiting to get to this one. In fact, I was just thinking about it. Of all the things we've read thus far, you know, on in the series, I mean it's just a marked improvement as you get to this, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's just unbelievable. You just kind of like you really are. You're sort of working with it before this. Yeah. But uh, Augustine's Confessions is just like it's an easy read. It's it's a nice read. It's a 
soul-stimulating Beneficial read. to the soul read, oh, yeah. It's amazing. Totally. It's amazing. Yeah. So I don't think Augustine needs too much introduction. But, um, you know, it's probably worth just uh, keeping to our usual form just to kind of say a few uh, points I think it's especially with this book uh, Confessions because I know the one, the one thing that this is the why it's so big in Calvinist circles is because this is he wrote this in light of his fresh appreciation of grace I mean he kind of started out Arminian uh, in a very anachronistic sense uh, and and then only later did he get to his uh, Pelagius <laughs> yeah there was a little <laughs> double flick flack back uh, but then only later did he get to his uh, you know um, big debacle with uh, Pelagius and then, um, and then, but but it was only after he refined his thought on on uh, this idea of of making the first move, God making the first move, uh, what we would think of uh, as a as a normal sort of Calvinism now, um, that that led him to recount his whole sort of experience again, and uh, in light of this uh, fresh appreciation. So in that sense, it's like you know, it's a very it's very reformed, you know. Again, excuse the anachronism, but yeah, yeah, Definitely. yeah. Yeah, so maybe a few facts about his life to put people in the picture. Yeah. So uh, he was born to a Christian mother and a pagan dead father. Mm -hmm. His mother's name was Monica. She'll always go down in history as one of the good moms who prayed with tears for her son. Mm -hmm. And, it and worked, uh, yeah. he loved her so much, he prayed back to her after she died. Just a <laughs> little fun fact. <laughs> and... Uh, he got, um, so at the age of 16, after he'd done really well at school, his father wanted to see him go into law. So mm -hmm. he went down to Tagaste or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the age of 16, and <laughs> imagine being 16 on your own in a new town, yeah. immorality breakout. Right. And uh, he, was, he was consecrated to the task of philosophy, though, at that point already, right? I, I think mean, he so was going for a law degree, and then he changed track himself towards oh, okay. philosophy. All right, I yep. see. Yeah, yeah. And it was during those between 16 and 18, he met the mother of his son, mm -hmm. Adiodatus. Mm. And uh, so he basically had a child around the age of 18, 19. Mm. He became a Manichaean at the age of 19 for nine years. Mm -hmm. Then he had two or three years of Neo Neoplatonism. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, 33, becomes a Christian yeah. under Ambrose. Yeah. So and and that journey is interesting because it's it's like it sounds absolutely terrible f for us, but it's almost like a, a positive step each time, in that he's going from this complete and utter. Because uh, I know he looked firstly, and one of his big original sort of uh, t turnaways from Christianity was was just Old Testament freaked him out. He was already quite on that uh, Greek thought train, and so you know he was just very opposed to the earthiness of the Old Testament and the, you know, just struggled with it, I suppose, um, felt it to be unspiritual. Um, and so went in the opposite direction. And, and obviously, Manichaeanism, you got like some heavy, heavy dualism going on there and almost like a Gnostic understanding of things where, you know, everything physical is, is basically from the darkness and then the light is your soul. And so very similar to, uh, um, but not quite as good as Neoplatonism. Uh, you know, as soon as he goes on to Neoplatonism, he's sort of just a little bit more open to the idea of Christian allegory, <laughs> which is uh, what Ambrose comes along and, and, and does. And he's impressed with Ambrose's allegorizing of the Old Testament and figures not, he, he's, he's good with this. He can buy into it. And, and, um, and then we have his famous conversion story, which he mentions in this book, of course, yeah. the whole, um, 
you know, it's quite, a, it's almost like it, it makes me think of the Puritans the, or the way they, or at least the Baptists anyway, they, the way they had to have this big experience, you know, this was like, it's like, even though they've, you know, obviously were saved way prior to that experience, you know, anyone who reads their biography can, you know, tell that, uh, you know, they, they were reared, reared under a Christian sort of upbringing in a Puritan household <laughs> and loved the Lord from like the, the age of six. But unless they had that experience, they weren't. Yeah, converted. their assurance became their conversion story. Yeah. yeah. And so you had something similar almost because I know uh, Augustine's, um, uh, wasn't his friend, but a, a Neoplatonic thinker or someone, someone big in the Neoplatonic, Platonist world at the time became a Christian and I know there was something there was some big moment for him I think there was something going on there and um and anyway so yeah I think you know he's obviously feeling the pressure to kind of follow suit but without the experience and so forth and then anyways we we I think we, we might even get to read it now but he's out in the you know in the I always think of the backyard, but that's probably not right. You know, he's, <laughs> he's hearing some kids play, and he's like, "Wait a minute, kids don't play that game." This thing, like, take, take up and read. Take it sounds up like and something. Read. Sounds like something from Clockwork Orange, or like a full-on, you know, take and read, take and read. Tolelege, <laughs> Super weird, creepy, sort of like you know, amateurable horror vibe. You know, yeah. I'm just like, and then he's like, "Oh, wait a minute, maybe I should read." <laughs> And then, and then and he, he uh, like, played biblical roulette, finger landed boom. on the verse, yeah. boom, the right verse, I know. put on so, Christ, Romans 13. Yeah. Also, it's interesting stuff. So we should talk about that as well. We'll get there in the text. Anyway, um, so he's, he's obviously one of the big dudes from that point on. He yeah. is well, he, the well, greatest Christian the theologian. What's that? Isn't he the biggest? I think he's the biggest. I think he's the mountaintop. Yeah. After Paul comes Augustine, right? Yeah. It's just well, how until works. Aquinas, he is the shadow he's over the, the whole church. That's true. And, um, and like, really, I mean, he's the father of the Western church, but, you know, like, at the end of the day, we say that thinking of Protestantism, you know, I mean, it's almost like someone said it this way, uh, we, we've, uh, Protestants have taken on his soteriology, and Catholics have taken on his ecclesiology. And yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. There's, you know, so he, even, even if you think about the, the Reformation and the, uh, the, what do they call it? The anti-reformation, or what was it called again? Counter-reformation. Counter-reformation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, both of them were really, you know, Augustinian revivals. You know, which is. But, uh, so basically, a lot of people say that you know you can credit almost any Christian belief to Augustine. Yeah. Well. So although he may not have uh, originated most of it, he mm. articulated most of it. So I whether know. it's the fallibility of the Pope, whether it's the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, mm. whether it's you know. In terms of the sacraments, Amazing. or whether it's grace, or whether it's um, you know articulating a good theology of evil, mm. he's spoken about everything. So yeah. yeah, that was the big thing he took on from his Neoplatonism as well. That articulation of evil that was big for him. I remember looking at that, but also just reading uh, you know through uh, confessions and um, so I mean he wrote more than you could ever read in your lifetime. You know. Um, but, but just the big ones, I'm, a, I was amazed. Like you, you're seeing stuff that is so familiar all the time and you realize, you know, it's often accredited to someone else later on, but actually it's there, it, you know, it's latent yeah. in his thinking. You can actually see it. Even things like, uh, Rene Descartes and, you know, it's just all, and then even psychology, you know, and things like that. In fact, people often talk about this as being the first book of psychology, really, yeah. uh, which is interesting. The so first autobiography that's introspective. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the cool, if you, if anyone is listening to this, planning to do a psychology masters or something, you could cheat. You could do Augustine. 
physiology <laughs> and psychology. So that's just something Chris to think about. Cheat there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So with that in mind, let's uh, get started. So you're going to read the, we're just going to jump around and do our normal Yeah. Um, so things. the most famous chapter is book one, chapter one, paragraph one. Mm-hmm. And I've got an old English version. So forgive Beautiful. the these and thous. All right. Great art thou, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is thy power, and of thy wisdom there is no end. And man, being a part of thy creation, desires to praise thee. Man who bears about him his mortality, the witness of his sin, even the witness that thou resistest the proud. Yet man, this part of thy creation, desires to praise thee. Thou movest us to delight in praising thee. For thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Lord, teach me to know and understand which of these should be first, to call on thee or to praise thee. And likewise, to know thee or to call upon thee. But who is there that calls upon thee without knowing thee? For he that knows thee not may call upon thee as other than thou art. Or perhaps we call on thee that we may know thee. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe, how shall they believe without a preacher? And those who seek the Lord shall praise him. For those who seek shall find him. And those who find him shall praise him. Let me seek thee, Lord, in calling on thee, and call on thee in believing in thee. For thou hast preached unto us, O Lord, my faith calls on thee, that faith faith that thou hast imparted to me, which thou hast breathed into me through the incarnation of thy Son, through the ministry of thy preacher. Mm. Beautiful. The key one there being, we're not content, you made us for yourself and we cannot yeah. find rest until we find rest. That's, that's the fame. That's the famous, uh, opening chapter. Mm. And even that, you know, you think about, uh, I mean, that anticipates a lot of what C.S. Lewis is going to really major on. And, you know, so they were seeing the, the beginnings the of the argument of, from the argument from desire. Yeah. Yeah. It's a key apologetical, uh, uh, move. Yeah. Totally. So, you know, uh, what a great, what a great paragraph it is. Um, and uh, it's almost, I, I love it as well with the whole, just the way it intersects with some, um, well, uh, really not two kingdom, but more um, Kleinian thought, I suppose, or just covenantal thought where, you know, you've got this, you know, we're, we're created for God, but I mean, we, that we need, we need to put that into its original covenantal context, you know, that, that meant not just swirling around in some emotional frenzy, right? That, that meant all of those things that the the covenant of works originally mandated for us, the richness, the fulfillment involved in the in um, the dominion that we would have, the project that we would set out to do, the building of the great city, and so forth. And uh, and you see in Ecclesiastes where, you know, now this is frustrated and yet eternity is set upon the heart and and there's just no point in it all. It's all futile and and you know, we can't rest until we understand, hey, fear God and obey his commandments. This is the end of the matter. And so there's just all, all of that Ecclesiastes sort of covenantal idea yeah, going through. Um, I, love, I love that, yeah. Another thing that struck me is it sounds like, um, you know, in a systematic theology, do you start with the word or do you start with the doctrine of God? Right, right, right. Is right. it the, the general revelation or special revelation? Yeah. And it seems that he's, even just epistemologically, he's just, he's just starting in the logical place. 
True. You know, just taking all of those things that, you know, how can I call on the God? I don't know, but maybe yeah. I have to call on him to know him. Yeah. And so, you know, just, he's just, yeah, it's got that feel for sure. Just rotating around these important, these, he knows what's important and he's just, just roaming around those ideas and just ruminating over them and you're just digesting them with him. Mm. I, just, I just love it. Interesting. It's kind of like, yeah, just actually thinking about Kelvin's opening there as well, you know, and, exactly. and, um, yeah. and the two greats start off that way, you know, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it is a big question. This is like the obvious starting point. Um, all right, so we've got a few paragraphs. Let me jump straight in um, and uh, try and remember to, yeah, okay, let's go. Uh, this book too, if you are following in whatever you've got, I've got the more contemporary updated version. Uh, so book two, this is chapter one, paragraph one. Um, I must now carry my thoughts back to the abominable things I did in those days, the sins of the flesh which defiled my soul. I do this, my God, not because I love these sins, but so that I may love you. For love of your love, I shall retrace my wicked ways. The memory is bitter, but it will help me to savor your sweetness, the sweetness that does not deceive, but bring, it brings real joy and never fails. And maybe I'll just uh, go ahead and, and just jump straight into the, the first paragraph of the next um, chapter, because it, mm -hmm. it, it, it sort of starts us off on that journey, uh, those things he doesn't want to talk about. And it's kind of what you were mentioning earlier. I went to Carthage, he says, where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. <laughs> there we go, right? Man, just wait till we get to the end of this. It's so powerful. Um, I had not yet fallen in love, but I was in love with the idea of it. And this feeling that something was missing made me despise myself for not being more anxious to satisfy the need. I began to look around for some object for my love, since I badly wanted to love something. I had no liking for the safe path, without pitfalls. For although my real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul, I was not aware of this hunger. I felt no need for the food that does not perish. Not because I had my fill of it, but because the more I was starved of it, the less palatable it seemed. So I muddied the stream of friendship with the filth of lewdness and clouded its clear waters with hell's black river of lust. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that, I, I, don't, it's, I don't know if you could ever forget that, right? Uh, the hell's black river of lust. Hell's black river of lust. <laughs> we, come up, we actually come up with some pretty solid death metal titles right awesome. it's amazing who knew you just need to go to the classics to find them mother of malice yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> the black river of lust um but isn't that so crazy now this is one thing obviously it's sort of the 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 beginning of the idea of sharing your testimony i suppose you might say um in the way that we think about it now and he's rolling through it and you know, and just sort of uh, ruminating on, on what happened, the sweetness of God's grace in light of all of this and considering God's providence. But there is like a bit of, uh, you know, like, I don't know, just a difficult thing to, to hear about because, you know, you mentioned he had this kid and uh, he obviously did find some measure of love, even though it was lustful in that it was unlawful and, and so forth. But what compounded the issue is that you can see it toward the end that he was just you know the idea he knew that he he was eventually sold on the idea of christianity but he was not sold on the idea of celibacy and so that kept him in, in this limbo you know for for a lot longer than it should have 
and yeah. um, and almost created this problem that wouldn't have existed without the the idea that you you know needed to to jump in at that you know if you wanted to be a true Christian you had to you know remain celibate and um, and so uh, that's just a such a tragedy at some level, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you know, totally. he could have just married this chick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I just had this like really awesome family life. Like I'm appreciative we got Augustine. Yes, yeah. I know. I know. Like I'm thankful that we that he didn't, you know, that we got all the books and stuff. But like, poor guy. I mean, oh my yeah. goodness. I wouldn't want to wish that upon anyone, you know. Because uh, he had to eventually just break from her, you know, completely. And he kept his son, but he put her away. Yeah. Because like he would, he got baptized. I think his son went with him. He when he traveled around in his mm. early Christian days, his son went with him. Mm. So yeah, I wonder if that was. What if it was kind of the Ezra thing? You know, the whole put your, put your um, unbelieving wives away. Well, it's interesting because when he put his, you know, he was struggling with the lust and he put her away, and then he took up another girlfriend. So, so he checked yeah. up again with another chick. So maybe he thought that was like a formal divorce. Who knows? But I'm thinking like he probably that's all just part of the problem because I mean, you know, basically he obviously did not have the gift of celibacy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And uh and so if you are going to go down that road, it's obviously gonna be fraught with 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 trouble and, and you yeah. know do stupid things like that. Um but but the thing also um is just you know, you think about the New Testament approach in that, you know, even if you're polygamous or you've got, you know, okay, fine, don't be an elder, but don't get divorced or don't put exactly. your wives away. Keep all seven wives. Be yeah. faithful to them all. I mean, it's such a liberal policy at that level, you know, <laughs> and, um, and and yet Yuri's struggling with, it just shows how things had gone pretty weird already. Yeah. You know? I mean, today we would, if someone came into your church and some a woman and she'd had a child with a guy, the guy wasn't saved and she was. You know, you'd say marry, even though he's not a believer. You oh, know, yeah. fault the family that's being created. Totally, absolutely. You know, that's yeah. that's we wouldn't see it as unequal yoking. Mm. You know, because they're not starting cold or from fresh. Right. There's a family right. there that needs to be formalized. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So you know, there's all that stuff. I mean, I know he was impressed with um, uh, the life of Anthony, um, and. You know, that was a big thing for him. He like, But even that, you know, what he was impressed with, interestingly, I remember looking at this, um, was that Anthony, if you remember, uh, w- went to church. I can't remember where he heard it, but went, you know, heard this. I think it was at, in a sermon of some sort where he heard uh, the text read, you know, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And he, and, come back. And, he, and he literally felt that to be a word to himself. <laughs> did that, which, you know, now we look at that. That's all on shaky ground. It's not even like, fine, you know. Yeah. So now you got a double shaky ground thing going on in that this is influencing Augustine to go through <laughs> tremendous you know that amount Augustine of sold all, Do you know Augustine sold all his possessions as well? Did he really? Yeah, well. Yeah, he went back to Tegasti where his okay, father right. yeah, yeah, yeah. was, sold it all up Interesting. and uh, basically started a little monastery with some friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's how he began right, his Christian was, life as a master. Because he was yeah. forcibly put into that office in, in Hippo. Yeah. 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 So we, he was in Hippo in the church and the crowds grabbed him and he was weeping. <laughs> he didn't want to be ordained. And then he submitted with, in the, tears. <laughs> the story goes like he avoided, he, he would check if a city had a bishop before he would go there because he, he wanted to avoid <laughs> cities without bishops for fear of that very thing happening. <laughs> so That's it was just, just madness. I mean, 
I'm happy that there's a congregational element, but I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> wow, that's congregationalism at the next level. But I think it's it's actually probably more like a top-down thing at some level, in that you would have to, you know, you'd have to play play ball at that point, otherwise you're in trouble with the the big cheese. I don't know, yeah. I don't know how it goes. Um, but anyway, so yeah, lots to say there. But it's just it's just such a oh my goodness. I mean, you almost ache for the poor guy, especially the way he describes it. You know, at, at certain portion, portions, like it was like tearing soul from flesh. You know, oh, yeah. to to Very put good. his uh, wife or he's not his wife away, but you know his. You know, it's just what I loved in what you just read there was, um, you know, just his understanding of sin. You know, I had a desire for you, but I try to fill it with other loves. Yeah, and that misdirected love—that's a it's a major motif in Augustine's yeah. understanding of sin. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, people like Tim Keller—they've really developed this notion of sin as idolatry. Yeah, and that's a it's a really helpful idea you know it's what you're giving your heart to yeah so sin yes it's defined as lawlessness we're not denying that in any way but another way to approach it is it's what are you loving with your heart and what are you made to love yeah Yeah. exactly his whole two cities thing (coughs) is literally two loves you know the whole people who who love god people who love the world you know that's basically the two cities right there so yeah it's a it's a big idea um Anyway, cool. Let's let's read a little bit on, and uh, then we'll come back cool. and if there's anything more there. All right. So now, now I'm jumping all the way to uh, book eight, and in um, par- in chapter five, paragraph ten. Um, when your servant, now I think I'm saying this right, simply uh, simply uh, uh, simpli- canis. Simp- um, <laughs> yes. I, I, I want to go simply key. Sim- just run out of you, run out of you. No, that's a simplicity. <laughs> now it's done. How would they do it? They would go Simplicianus. That's how it would be. There we go. Uh, okay. When when your servant Simplicianus told me the story of, uh, here's another guy, Victorinus, but it would probably be Victorinus. Yeah. Victorinus. Something like that. Um, uh, what's that? Victorinus. Victorinus. <laughs> told me about Victorinus. No, no. Um, uh, I began to to glow with fervor to imitate him. Oh, that was the guy I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the guy. Yeah. I think it was uh, Simplicanius uh, or whatever I said earlier. Um, <laughs> who, uh, Simplicianus, sorry. That's it, Simplicianus. <laughs> sounds, Nel- sounds, Nel- it's, it sounds like um, something like Afrikaans. Afrikaans. Yeah, Simplicianus. <laughs> It's <laughs> not so great. Simplicity, honest. If you are from South Africa, you better be laughing at that. That's all I'm saying. Um, all right. So Simplicity, honest. We're running with that. Uh, he, uh, he, I think he was the Neoplatonist guy. Yeah. Or someone else. Or, yeah. Anyway, I longed to do the same, but I was held fast, not in fetters clamped upon me by another, but by my own will, which had the strength of iron chains. The enemy held my will in his power, and from it he be, he a, a had made a chain and shackled me. For my will was perverse, and lust had grown from it. And when I gave in to lust, a habit was born. And when I did not resist the habit, it became a necessity. It's big. That's like bondage of the will, everything, you know, freedom of the will. Well, just a perfect, <laughs> perfect description of the progression of sin. So it starts yeah. with thought, habit bondage yeah i mean but even at a deeper level i mean you know your whole corrupt nature 
I mean, this is it. Like we're not, you know, when you talk about the freedom of the will, you know, what I always tell people with, with um, the whole Calvinism <laughs> thing is that you do, you know, the cage stage Calvinist kind of vibe where, well, don't you know, we don't have a free will, you know, and they just jump straight into fatalism. And, um, yeah. and you've got to, you've got to emphasize, no, 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 bondage of the will doesn't mean we don't have a free will. We do. And with our free will, we choose evil only ever continually freely though. We love it. You know, we love it. We freely choose it. And then the thing that chains us is our own nature, you know, in that, the strength of our own corruption, um, which... Willful bondage. Yeah, yeah. like a willful um, idea is so important there. My will was perverse and lust had grown from it. So even that, just that basic habit, the habitus, you know, you've got this um, this 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 really, really strong total depravity idea there. But then, of course, as you say, even just in terms of, um, you know, fighting sin, you know, at the habitual level, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? You're done. Yeah, I'm just sorry. My eyes just, I found Victoria, uh, Vic, Victorinus. Looks like he was a martyr. He was a sometime professor of rhetoric at Rome who died a Christian. Right. So. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, yep. He's the guy. I think he. So I'm mixing up my stories now, but yeah. One of the. Basically, his buddies, you know, they, he looked up to them and, and they. And they. Um, they went over. And became Christians, so he wanted to follow suit. Um, all right, cool. Uh, he says, I was quite sure that it was better for me to give myself up to your love than to surrender to my own lust. But while I wanted to follow the first course, I was convinced that it was right. I was still a slave to the pleasures of the second. I had no answer to make when you said, Awake, you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. You used all means to prove the truth of your words. And now that I was convinced that they were true, the only answers that I could give were drowsy words of an idler. Soon, presently, let me wait a little longer. But soon was not soon, and a little, a little longer grew to a much longer. For the rule of sin is the force of habit, by which the mind is swept along and held fast even against its will, yet deservedly, because it fell into the habit of its own accord. Also very good. Um, that oh, was that was just the uh, complexity of, of it's the wretched man of Romans seven. Just yes. the complexity oh, of yeah, brilliant. know what's right, but I'm not going to do it. There's just this yeah, just great great analysis. Yeah, absolutely, and it's like you can, you know, and it's so I mean it's so comfortable for reform guys to read this as well because it's just <laughs> you know we're in home turf right now. You know, in terms of this this sort of thing, this is why they all just want you know developed Augustine essentially because he had just wrestled with it. <laughs> Um, it is crazy that he was just a little, I mean, why was he not just totally 100% Kelvin and Luther at the same time? It's hard to imagine that he wouldn't be like this justification par excellence guy, you know? Um, well, you know, thing, um, the Latin word justificare literally means to make justify, to make righteous, right? not to declare righteous. Yep. And so it was Melanchthon who helped Luther to articulate the forensic aspect. Right. So, the Latin lends itself to a transformative definition where you uh -huh. actually make righteous. So there's a right. the process of right. transformation. Yeah, Whereas Melanchthon <clears throat> nailed the forensic aspect by going back to the Greek at Fontes through mm. the Renaissance. They went back mm. to the Greek. So Augustine's lack of Greek yeah, and well, his dependence on Latin. Boom. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That is a, a good insight because, yeah, because I mean, he's well known for like not really nailing the Latin thing, even on the Trinity. 
you know, he busts up a little bit as he's trying to follow them. You know, he's just like the Eastern fathers are getting him. He doesn't understand what they're saying. He misinterprets them all the time. And kind of, you know, and you have these two streams develop, you know, largely based on, on the languages um, involved. And so, um, you know, you can see how it, it crippled him a little bit there. I mean, he would have been, it's almost like he would have been that guy, you know, if he had just, can you imagine Augustine yeah. nailing the Greek as, as well, you know? <laughs> Hold me back. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But I suppose not everyone gets everything, so that's good. Um, all right. Now, uh, I'm sorry, I've been on chapter 12. I, I didn't mention, oh, sorry, chapter 8. Um, so still in book 5. The last one was chapter 12. And this is chapter 29 in the same um, book or same chapter. No, this is paragraph 29 in the same no. chapter 12. Um, I was asking myself these questions, weeping all the while with the most bitter sorrow in my heart. When all at once... I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Now, you see the horror music? I mean, it's like a horror scene. Sing songs. <laughs> la, 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 la. No, but uh, I can't Freddy Krueger, nightmare. I messed up when I read this. I'm not even normal. One, two, Freddy's <laughs> after you. Three, four, he's at the door. I know. It's like you don't want to mess up this holy moment. Now we're doing that for everyone who's listening to this as well. You know? Sorry. <laughs> All right. But anyway. Yeah, I did. Okay, sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was a voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say. But again and again, it repeated the refrain. Take it and read. Take it and read. At this, I looked up, thinking hard whether there was any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these. But I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open my book of scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. For I had heard the story of Antony, there we go, uh, and I remembered how he, he had happened to go to church, oh, here it is, cool, <clears throat> how he had happened to go to church while the gospel was being read and had taken it as a counsel addressed to himself when he heard the words, go home and sell all that belongs to you, give it to the poor, and so the treasure that you have shall be in heaven. Then come back and follow me. Now, is that talking about the rich young lawyer? Is that the... Because that would be <laughs> crazy. The rich young ruler guy? Is that, yeah. is that the text? Is it? Nine, yeah. Matthew 19, 19 21. Uh, Mark 10, yeah. It, Mark 10. That, yeah. That would be insane. Like, it's just actually quite... Like, it's just dawned on me, right? He went... Even the way he puts it here, he went to church while the gospel was being read. Okay, now this is the law part of the gospel that's like meant to drive them to the gospel. And he goes, oh, law, awesome. So I'll just go and do the thing that's meant to like smother. He's like doing what Israel, <laughs> he's doing what Israel did. <laughs> in like turning the Mosaic covenant into a, a you know, a, a source of yeah. pride. So that's, anyway, so the whole thing is pretty messed up at that level, you know. Anyway. Um, you know the same thing happened to me. Okay, <laughs> do share. I was tripping out on acid. Okay. <laughs> on a Thursday night, Nemesis Marriage Seminar going on at Rayma Church, Ray Corley's church. Right. And I was I was having the worst trip of my life. And I thought, I need to be on holy ground. Because, you know, vampires and demons and stuff. Right, right, Like, right. they don't go to church. Sure. So I'm like, okay, I better go sit in the car park. And so they kicked me out three times, really. And I'm like this hobo with my guitar and no shoes, traipsing around the suburbs at night. So, like, I go into the building because I'm convinced I've got to be in church. And this guy turns to him and he says, do not lust with your eyes. <laughs> I ran out the building. I literally ran out the building. Wow. <laughs> so carrying on. Well, it, you know, and that's a great point to bring up. I got a story about 
when I was a, a youth pastor and a, and, a, and a weird guy rocks up at the church, just like it sounds like exactly what you did. And I was the guy who told the other guy something weird. But anyway, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, but, uh, it, you know, at that level, it's just a profound, I mean, God uses, providentially uses, you know, whatever's going at yeah. the time. And, you know, so we know that, right? So I'm not calling into question the authenticity of his experience or anything like that. But it is just crazy how God has to like use you know, everything in spite of us rather than because we're nailing the interpretation of things yeah. or whatever. Um, but uh, anyways, he says, by this divine pronouncement, he had all at once, uh, uh, sorry, uh, talking about Anthony now, he had all at once been converted to you. So I hurried back to the uh, to the place where Elpius was sitting. Uh, for when I stood up to move away, I had put down the book containing Paul's epistles. I seized it and opened it. And in silence, I read the first passage on which my eyes fell, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. I had no wish to read more and no need to do so. For in an instant, uh, instant as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. So I have a few, th again, that's it. Okay. Now I got a few thoughts there, which, which, you know, again, in reverence for the great St. Augustine, right? It's not, it's not like I'm trying to take your mind here, but I suppose this is in line and in keeping with those Puritan testimonies and that sort of thing. They become so famous, they become almost like our sort of, um, you know, law, you know, in that sense. Yeah, you can't touch him. And so, and they become a little bit unhelpful sometimes because, I mean, not only is he getting converted by law, again, not gospel, <laughs> we'll leave that aside. You know, there's that. But Make no not, provision flesh, bad exegesis. Right. It's yeah. just like solid, full on, you know, commandment, which is supposed to kill you. But, um, you know, saved him. So there's that. But the other thing is um, that this moment, I mean, I've seen this actually like, work against authentic salvation or becomes a crippling thing for people that are actually, I think, totally, fully, 100% giving themselves over to Christ, but feel that they are actually not there or they're waiting for this moment or they're, you know, they're just, how can I be the only one that doesn't have this? And I think obviously the Reformed guys have been good and, in, in, you know, maybe a little too good in, in, in sort of killing that off and saying, um, you know, especially with the covenant children thing. I mean, with in reformed circles, it's just basically like good Christian nurture and you just keep on living and you're not waiting for this cataclysmical, yeah. cataclysmic at least experience. And, and you know, Baptists are a little bit more, you know, hey, we're having a conversion over here. So even, we even expect just a little bit from our kids, you know, just something, just give us anything. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, it's just, it's a point that I think everyone has to hold in check, you know, one way or another. Obviously there is, you know, it, it can be true that someone is truly converted prior to their consciousness uh, dawning on them, you know, so uh, that can certainly happen. Yeah. And um, in that case, it'd be futile for them to look for a conversion experience. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to have them feel that way or, you know, call them into question on, on any of that if they haven't had something like that. But, you know, if it, ordinarily, you know, there is going to be a little bit of a, a crisis point. Um, as you decide you're going to take Christianity really seriously and you're going give to your, give yourself over to Christ. But even there, it's, it's not like, a like the language flooded with light, you know, uh, a light of confidence <laughs> at least flooded my heart. Now, I get it like... used my heart. All the gloom of doubt vanished away. 
I know. Like, it reminds me of that hymn, I dare not trust the sweetest frame that lean only on Jesus' name, you know, or some, something along those I lines. I always thought that was like a good bolt, <laughs> sweetest frame. Yeah. I got the sweetest frame, you know, or it's actually the sweetest frame of mind. Yeah. Well, just the sweetest, <laughs> uh, even this little, any, uh, what did you do? I trust the sweetest frame. I did not look at beautiful people and trust them. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, but the other thing, like Augustine, I'm not Augustine Spurgeon said, um, you know, I, I something along these lines. You know, he would have said it beautifully and all that. So I'm not going to paraphrase, but but basically, you know, uh, give me one uh, ounce of faith for uh, a pound of experience. You know, um, or, yeah. or or ten pounds of experience probably would would have been a, a better way to put it. But you know, it's like all of that stuff amounts to a moment that's going to fizzle out you know, at the end of the day. And like as powerful as those things, I mean, and I've had them, you've had them, you know, we've all had them. Yeah. But you really do realize that if you had a trust on that, you're just done for. You Before you even get started out the gate, you're done. You know, you, you know, and a lot of charismatic theology just builds on this thing or a lot of Baptist theology builds on this thing. And you got to be very, very careful with it. Because um, at the end of the day, if we're going to look back and theologically assess Augustine's life, Bottom line is he wasn't converted like that, you know. What was actually happening was much broader and much more involved and incorporated all he already knew and had everything to do with the preaching it already had. And a lot was dawning in that moment. And even that wasn't, this, when he says, you know, as nice as he might have felt in that moment, which there's no reason to doubt, yeah. um, it, it really wasn't the, the thing that you ultimately are going to value you know, as you look back on your own life and if you could somehow see the invisible work of the spirit, you know, that wouldn't be where the valuable yep. stuff Amen. lies. It would be that, that, that object of work on the soul that, that you're probably not even appreciating. Um, so that's just uh, something I thought to, to add there at the end is a good opportunity that's for good. us to put that that's in. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else you want to throw in? No, just, uh, I read my Catholic encyclopedia in oh, yeah? preparation. Nice. It's actually really good. It's I'm really sure. good. So it looks right. at his life, looked at his writings, and then it looked at his doctrinal development and influence. Three massive chapters in this encyclopedia. Wow. Super interesting. So it just looked at, um, basically it just showed the timeline of development. It's almost like providentially the development of Augustine's theology, starting with Manichaeism and the problem of evil and you know his original wrestlings with, with Manichaeism. Then there was the, uh, the Donatist controversy. Mm -hmm. Then there was Pelagius. Mm. Then there was, you know, and so just the development of his doctrines through the controversies mm. um, and how that really providentially, it's almost like at the Reformation, you look at the Westminster in the 1689, you know, you've got the Anabaptists, the Roman Catholics, the Sicinians, the Arminians, you know, the perfect set of enemies, which covers a whole spectrum of theological uh, interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as you look at uh, the various conflicts that Augustine had throughout his life, it seems that they just set him up perfectly to, uh, to just talk on the key issues. Hmm. Interesting. So Donatism, for example, he spent years delving into ecclesiology. What is the church? Hmm. What are the sacraments? What are the office, offices and the office bearers of the church? Hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we've got um, we got another Augustine round coming up. I don't know if I told you this, but uh, oh, Augustine's really? Bird and the Letter. Oh, okay. Which is awesome. I mean, that's like 
in terms of covenant theology and stuff. I mean, that's so awesome. So cool. uh, the spirit in the letter is what we're looking at next, if anyone's listening to this. And um, and we'll talk a little bit more about Augustine at that point. So it might, might right. be a good opportunity to talk a little bit more about his, yeah, his involvements in those things and um, and the rest That's of good. your encyclopedic Catholic knowledge. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, all right. That's a fade out for me. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Cheers, man.